You're listening to the JTD Coaches Me podcast with your host, Joanne Tierney Daniels. Tune in as Joanne chronicles her journey from imposter to empowerment. Joanne discusses real life with real people. You'll be captivated by her guests and their stories. Regardless of whether you leave laughing or crying, one thing is certain. Each episode will make you think about life from a different perspective. Listen in and join the journey as Joanne and her guests explore the best strategies to promote personal growth, find your authentic self, and live your best life. Hi, I'm Joanne Tierney Daniels, a mindset, life, and relationship coach and the host of the JTD Coaches Me podcast. Today, I will be talking about overcoming deep-seated fears that prevent us from being the person we were destined to be. Much of my life was governed and limited by fear. As a young girl, I was afraid of sin and developed the belief that sinners were bad people. I was constantly afraid of disappointing my parents, teachers, friends, or classmates. Carrying that weight as a child was a heavy burden. As a result, at an incredibly early age, I learned to ignore and stifle my passions and adopted conformity as a blueprint for my life. When you're captivated by the fear of eternal damnation, your life is definitely limited. As an adult, I couldn't forgive myself for any mistake or transgression I made. Adding additional guilt and shame to an already unstable foundation wasn't productive or conducive for growth or fulfillment. And because my own footing was unsteady, it was difficult to form meaningful relationships. So dating was torturous for me. When you have no self-confidence or esteem and feel small, you attract small. That's not intended to denigrate any individuals from my past. It's simply a characterization of the relationship at that time. They couldn't flourish because my spirit was hampered by fear and doubt. On a subconscious level, I intentionally chose partners who weren't whole either. Because of the underlying cracks in my psyche, I utilized unhealthy behaviors to cope or punish myself, depending upon my emotional state at the time. I developed a pattern of self-sabotage, which is closely aligned to perfectionism and procrastination. Fear weaves a complicated, interconnected web that is difficult to untangle. Luckily, my guest today, Emma Lyons, has firsthand experience in overcoming her own deep-seated fears that held her back for many years from becoming a successful healer and entrepreneur. That's not to suggest she wasn't successful. Emma was on her way to becoming a civil rights attorney, but realized that wasn't her passion. Now, Emma is an expert in releasing self-sabotage and female soulpreneurs. She is a healer, coach, and yoga meditation teacher. Emma's detailed knowledge of trauma and its impact on our subconscious belief systems equips her to be a perfect contributor to this conversation. So join me in welcoming Emma to the podcast. Hi, Emma. Oh, hey, Joanne. Thanks so much for the great introduction. And I have to say, I really relate to so much of your story, which I've heard like it was very powerful the way you put it together just now. Um, I really relate to that whole kind of shame and feeling like you're not good enough and then that affecting your whole life moving forward is so many different aspects of it. It makes um, that's because that's what happened with me in a slightly different way, but it's the same kind of idea. And um, that's why I'm so passionate about helping other people. Cause I know Joanne, you have overcome all, a lot of those fears and now it's about like shining and, and becoming a model so that other people can step up and, and shine their light too. 
So I'm so passionate about it. And it's so great to talk to someone who's on the same page and moving in the same direction and shining their light. And although we live on different continents, we both grew up under the same shadow of Irish Catholic guilt. For me, growing up Catholic was a double-edged sword. I believe it framed the tenets of my character. I believe I'm an empathetic, understanding, a generous and kind soul, but it also built the framework for, for dysfunction. I spent decades carrying guilt for childhood sins that made me feel like a sinner and thus a bad person. As a young adult, I was reckless and then layering the components of childhood conditioning and adult choices just made me feel worse. I'm still in the process of overcoming that Catholic programming. How did it impact you and your development? Yeah, definitely. Um, it's kind of in the in the air in Ireland. It's like a, it's become slightly less intense now. And I would say that people are kind of people have definitely stepped away from the church because there's been an, an a growing awareness around, you know, the kind of negative effects and the kind of hypocrisy of the church in various elements. So um, I think if you were to go to mass now and compare it to the attendance at mass, you know, maybe 30, 40 years ago, it would definitely be huge in Ireland. But um, in saying that the influence is the influence is still there and the influence was there when I was growing up. And this, this whole idea that you're kind of born into sin. So there's this kind of culture of shame, which, also exists in other religions too. Um, I have some Jewish friends who are sharing about that kind of idea in in their faith as well. Um, so I don't think it's exclusive to Catholicism, but I really agree with you that it's kind of it's one of the kind of central tenets. The way that the Catholic <laughs> Church kind of controlled people was through shame and kind of this pushing this idea of people being sin, you know, being sinful and having to kind of buy and pray their way out of that. So <laughs> it's a very kind of, it's very kind of, it's really, really keeps people small and um, keeps them from stepping into their highest self because they don't really believe that it's possible for them. This is a feeling that you are a victim and that you can't lead your own life. I, I agree. And, and the church is, is softened its stance here in America as well. Uh, it was the same thing. You would go to church when I was a child and my parents insisted that I go, um, but it was the same thing. It would be a packed house. Now it's certainly changed and their ideologies have softened, I believe, because of course, um, as much as it's about building a presence, it's also a business. And that's the reality of, of religion. It's, it's also needs to be funded. So I think you have have to change with the times or, or they wouldn't be able to, or they wouldn't survive. I mean, I mean, that's the reality. And you speak about overcoming your own quarter life crisis and the deep seated fears that held you back and kept you from pursuing your passion. Uh, please tell the listeners a little bit more about that. Well, I mean, when I was, when I was growing up, I really, I, I had this kind of very much ingrained belief that I wasn't good enough, that I wasn't enough. So I remember in school, I was like always trying to, you know, show myself through grades or whatever, try to prove that I was good enough. And then feeling like, so I was going from, you know, feeling like trying to push forward, then feeling disappointed and then falling back into kind of shame and frustration. So it was kind of moving between those, uh, f those emotions. And um, yeah, it was, it was really, it was really difficult to kind of, I, I never felt like I was good enough in school and that was kind of reinforced. It became a self-perpetuating cycle. And then when I got into university, um, I moved away from my parents as far as I could. I moved to Dublin. So there was this, it was the same thing. There was this idea that I wasn't good enough and this 
kind of, I was always trying to push myself to be better or to be enough. And I never could meet, there was a bit of perfectionism, um, like you spoke about as as well, Joanne. And I think that's, that was, I had that for me, not in the way that I do things, but I think I was perfectionist in, in terms of the results that I got. And if I didn't meet those very high expectations, I would just feel devastated and kind of really be be really hard on myself. So I, I could definitely see that I was my own worst enemy for the longest time in my life. And I didn't really allow myself to break out of that until I started you know, actively looking for ways to do it and kind of thinking outside the box of what was already there. So it's really been a journey for me. And like you were saying, it continued and um, you mentioned that I was going to be, I, I did a degree in languages and then I went on, I did, I was going to become a human rights lawyer because I thought that would be a really good way to help people because um, I always had this desire in my heart to kind of help people and to lift people up. And human rights seemed like a good way to do that. But then after I finished all the studying and everything, um, I realized that it just wasn't the right choice for me. And I came to this place where I was like, oh my God, uh, I don't have a clue what I want to do now. And I felt, you know, really terrified because I had no direction whatsoever for, you know, the first time in my life, really, that starkly. I always kind of knew I had some kind of plan. And then I came to a point where, you know, nothing really made any sense. I was like, I was freaking out. I just turned 30 and I was like, my life is has no meaning. I don't know what I, what I want to do. I don't know who I am. I don't have any, I felt like I had no stability. So it was quite a scary time in my life. And really I was, I could see now how I was just judging myself very, very negatively, which was really one of the, one of the key factors into why it was such a time for me, such a difficult time because I was judging myself as my life isn't enough. I'm not good enough. I can never have what I want. I don't even know what I want. And I was making all of that wrong and putting myself into a corner where that I, that I felt like I could never get out of. So there was a real sense of hopelessness and desperation there. And I kind of lived there for a little while. So I know lots of people kind of go through this in midlife and, you know, where they kind of come to a place in their career where they start realizing that, you know, this is, is this all that there is? And I also see it happening in younger people around the age of 28, 29, where people are, you know, starting to question what their path is, what their purpose is. And I think, you know, although I can see I really did it in a very negative way, but these are positive questions that you can ask yourself and that can really help you to move in a more purposeful way in your life and to create a purpose-filled, passionate life and to find your sweet spot where you can be living your passion, doing exactly what you love and, and making great money doing it. And I really, I know that's possible for everyone, but we live in a world where we're kind of told you can't have this or this and that. You have to choose. You have to choose either the money or doing what you love. And, you know, what I see now, I see people out there and they're on you know, I'm doing it as well. They they have it all. And it's really, really possible. You just need to believe it's start believing it's possible for you and start making steps in that direction. So that's that's what I did. And it's really, it's really paying off now because I start I really spent I, I put lots of I invested in myself, not just um 
financially, but, you know, in so many different ways, emotionally and my education. And it's really, really helped me grow as a person. So rather than trying to change the outside, which is kind of what we were trained to do, we're trained to, to try to change. I don't like this, so I have to change it. And rather than changing yourself, um, the thing is, it's like, um, it's like tr- everything. It's like you're looking in the mirror and what we're trained to do is try to make the reflection of you smile rather than smiling yourself. So you've got to really change yourself first and then the outside world could change. That's what I discovered. And that's what all this exploration um, is really about. I love that you were able to do it at 25. I didn't start reinventing myself until I was 50. So, and certainly I don't consider that wasted time. You, know, you can't love yourself if you don't love any part of your journey. But in some, in some ways, I wish that I had started that process much earlier. How were you able to turn it around? And what were some of the questions that you were asking yourself? Well, Joanne, I get that feeling of regret and you know, even resentment and anger at yourself for not doing it faster. Um, and you know, because that's come up for me because this, my journey, I've, I've had an awareness about this for so long, but it's only, it's taken me a while to kind of start really moving properly in that direction. So the, all that sadness and everything has, has come up for me as well. And I've been like, oh, why did I not, did I not do this sooner? Um, and I really, I, re- I really relate to what you say. And it takes um, some time to kind of really take that in. But I do believe that there is a reason for your journey. And once you start, you know, denying the stepping stones that have got you to where you where you are or denying where you are, then you can't take the next step forward. I did start, I did start maybe a little younger than you, but there are people who started younger than me. And I can look at them and say, oh my God, why didn't I do it earlier and beat myself up? But then you're actually going backwards, aren't you? You're going back to kind of judging yourself. And you're from there, you can't move forward, you can't progress, you can't become more of who you really are. So it's about feeling those feelings and uh, allowing them, honoring them to be there, you know, rather than saying, oh, I shouldn't feel sad, I shouldn't feel angry, you know, just let, being present with those feelings and really feeling them. And then they they dissipate. Um, what I see what I see in myself and with people I work with is that the the problem with emotions getting stuck they happen when we make the emotions wrong, when we try to say we shouldn't be feeling that way, or, you know, we try to we suppress them, or we kind of start to suppress, we start to say them, but don't release them fully. So it's all, it's all about when we judge ourselves, we kind of suppress it down. But when you really feel it fully, and then that's when it goes through, and then you become free of that emotion. I love Tony Robbins. He talks about emotions being like energy in motion. It's, it's energy that wants to move. So when it gets stuck in your body and your system, you know, when you're not expressing it, when you're not giving it a voice, it becomes resistance. And that's when, you know, everything becomes super hard and you don't know you've, you've got everything so hard and you don't know where to go and it's, everything's such a struggle. Um, but, you know, we really, on some level, we create that within ourselves. So it's not about blaming anyone. Um, like a really, there's a huge distinction between blame and responsibility um, because I blamed and shamed myself for years and that just kept me stuck. That just kept me in that cycle, you know, like being a sinner, whatever the, the Catholic church is just reflecting what we do to ourselves in a sense. Um, or it's like a, one is a reflection of the other. 
Um, so to really break out of that cycle, it requires taking responsibility. So not blaming. When you're blaming, you're shaming yourself. You can't move forward. There's nothing that you can do. But when you take responsibility, you're looking forward. You're not looking back. You're saying, right, this is where I am. And it's okay. I created this. And I can move forward from here. So it's much more proactive. It's a much more empowering feeling, whereas shame and blame is totally disempowering. And it really stops you from taking any step at all. So, yeah, it's 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 really huge but i've forgotten what your question was i'm sorry <laughs> i think you covered it but it, br it brings me to another point uh for me when i look back now and of course it was a different time then they didn't have dr phil we didn't have oprah i mean that would, but i think about it and if if i see myself as a child i definitely knew at that time on and on some level that I was meant to serve other people and that this type of pursuit is, is a passion for me. When did you realize that? I, I'd like others to to know and, and recognize in themselves what it is and how they can recognize their own passion and not to ignore it or stifle it or push it down. Well I from when I was very young I always wanted I had this kind of burning ambition like I said this desire to to help people in some way um so it was definitely there from from a young age and i was kind of like um i, I was reading personal development books and spiritual books from quite a young age and quite of i had an interest in that area um so i think if you if you have that desire that you want that you that you want to help that you want to serve that you want to uplift the world you're going to feel it you're going to know it it's not something that anyone can tell you um, it's something that you feel inside you. It's like a, it's a desire that you have. So to me, I think it's all about what, what is it that you want? Because it's not really, um, the more we become who we really are, that, that automatically uplifts the world. So it's not, I thought I had to do it in some kind of active way. You know, I had to help people by, you know, getting the laws changed. But then I realized what a contradiction that was because, you know, you're trying to bring peace to the world and you're at war with yourself and you feel not good enough with yourself. It's such a, it's not the right energy, you know, you're going to it from a place of anger. You know, you can't, what Martin Luther said it so beautifully, you know, Martin Luther King, um, he talked about, you know, you can't fight, um, you can't fight the darkness with more darkness. You know, you need light to do that. Um, so, but I think, I think we're trained to do that and it's really counterproductive. Um, the only way to, to lift, lift other people is to lift up yourself. It's an inside job. And then you can, you can start changing people through your example. Um, so I thought I was, I thought I had to change things outside, but really nothing really changed until I look inside and said, no, I need to. I need to heal myself. I need to, uh, I need to work on myself and moving beyond being self-absorbed and, you know, stuck in that feedback loop. I had to get help. Really. I had to get help to get outside my, <laughs> my loop of kind of self-pity and blame and all of that. So yeah, definitely. It, it was, it was a journey, but I mean, I think really the journey that I can't think I share with you as well it allows us to be there. I feel like you said there is a reason for that because, you know, we can really empathize with people where people are now. We can really see people that are, you know, in their victim 
you know, in their shame. And we can we can understand where they're coming from rather than, you know, going into blame mode again. We can see the strength of the person underneath that facade of being a victim or whatever it is. Um, and we can we can uplift them through through that way. We see through we see through all the smoke and mirrors that people put up around themselves because we've been on that journey ourselves. It's really powerful. I think that's powerful as well. And I think you bring up two very important points is that, you know, people shouldn't be afraid to ask for help because in our journeys, I really was relying upon many mentors and coaches and and people that inspired me and moved me towards the life that I wanted. So I think that people are afraid to help. And I think that's, that's very prevalent actually in men. Many men are in this genre or belief that asking for help is a sign of weakness when really in reality, it's a sign of, of courage and strength, in my opinion. That's one point. And the other point I wanted I wanted to make is that you really said it very succinctly that when you were pursuing your passion, you had a sense of peace within yourself. So maybe that's really the most significant telltale sign is that you begin to to accept and, and like yourself more when you're when you're really following the, the passion that leads you to fulfillment. So thank you for those points. And the last time we spoke, you also talked about, I love your belief that we must meet our dreams halfway. Even the best intentions need a plan and willpower always needs help. You know, please explain to the listeners your thoughts on pursuing your dreams and how you have to help them along. For example, my journey, I thought, um, you know, once I figured out what my purpose was, you know, I thought the stars would align and you know what get this download and people would just show up on my doorstep looking for my help and stuff and you know that's just that was really fantasy for me um that's not the way reality works because um you know even when i did start to pursue it all this resistance came up in myself like uh all my negative beliefs you know all the beliefs that i got from my family you know about being an entrepreneur you can't make money being a yoga teacher, you can't make money doing this kind of work. You need to get a proper job, all of that kind of thing. And, you know, worrying about getting my parents approval. Uh, So really, um, for years, my parents' beliefs, the beliefs that I took on as a child were were running my life. And they were holding me back from fully stepping into my, my path and really thriving on my path. So I was like lived in this place of frustration for a long time because, you know, I thought there was something wrong with me because I knew what I was supposed to be doing, but I wasn't doing it. Um, And what I mean when I say you've got to meet your dreams halfway, it's not enough to know what you want. That's a really important step. And um, I went to this seminar where they talked about how, you know, the reason why most people don't have what they want is because they don't know what they want. And I think that's really true. But even when you do get some clarity on what you want, you've got to take action in that direction and you've got to work on your own inner game as well. It's not about taking the massive action. You've got to do both. You've got to, you know, change what are the what are my fears here that are coming up about taking what am I afraid of? So if I do become successful doing this passion that, that I want to follow, what's the worst thing that could happen? And start dealing with that inner conflict because that inner conflict will trip you up every single time. Um, like think about it. This happened to me loads of times. I'd take three, st- I'd take one step forward towards my passion and then I'd take two steps back, you know? So I'd be on the verge of, I'd be, you know, creating momentum and then I'd just slide back to zero. And that that is your inner fears. That's your inner self saboteur, if you want. Um, 
And it's not, it's not, I don't mean to blame the saboteur or leap heap shame on there either, because that that part of you is just fear. You know, it's like the, the inner child, the child is like just trying to keep you alive. That's what that saboteur is trying to do. Um, like it's maybe it's often the child part of you, you know, that three-year-old, four-year-old who thinks that, you know, if you go off and do something that your parents aren't don't approve of, you're going to be thrown out from the tribe. You're not going to be supported. So from, from their point of view, it's like an existential thing. For you, it might just be about making making some money, you know, becoming successful. But for the child, for that child part of you, it's about, oh, my God, if you do this, you're going to die, you know. So you every single time you're going to pull yourself back to safety, back into your comfort zone. So it's not just about expanding your comfort zone. That's important. But also you've got to kind of deal with the resistance that comes up as you do so. And it will because we stay in our comfort zone because it feels nice. It feels cozy. It feels familiar. And when you start doing things that aren't familiar, all of a sudden you start feeling your stuff and it can feel really uncomfortable. But if when you look at it and you say, oh, this is interesting rather than damn this thing, I shouldn't be feeling this way. You know, you can say, oh, this is interesting. This What's this fear that I'm feeling now? And you really release it or work with someone to, to help find out what those fears are and let them go. That's when you can move forward with so much more freedom. So you can, you can use determination and willpower. It can get you so far. But if you've got this kind of traumas, these internalized beliefs from when you were a child saying you can't do this or that it's wrong or that you're, you'll be kicked out of your family or you, your family won't love you or you're not worthy, um, these really fundamental beliefs, they can really kind of trip you up at the last minute. And they're all just ways of keeping you safe. So that's all that saboteur part of you wants to do. It wants to keep you safe. And growth is kind of in contradiction to that. Because when you think like safety is just staying at home, it's just staying in your in your bubble. Um, once you once you move out from that bubble, you know, anything could happen. You can't control that situation. And it's about really starting to trust yourself and trust life, that life is here to support us rather than life is here to kind of bash us down and create conf- problems for us. So that's a real that's a real shift that's happened in my focus. I've moved from a mindset where I was thinking, oh, my God, life is out to get me and I'm not good enough, um, like this victim mindset to a mindset where I feel like, no, I'm in, I'm in, I'm, I, you know, I trust life. It's not that I'm in control of everything because, you know, things happen that I'm not in control of, but I'm hundred percent in control of how I respond to them. And also um, when things do happen that maybe I'm not, you know, didn't ask for particularly, um, I can now see the blessing that comes out of them. So rather than cursing them, I can say, wow, that was interesting. This allows me to learn something new here and to grow. So I see it more as a challenge, something to overcome than something that's there to squash me and pull me down and make me a victim in my life. It's something that actually 
allows me to step up and become the champion in my own life. So it's just, it's looking at the same thing, but from a, through, from a very, very different mindset. I think that's great. And I think self-sabotage is certainly a means of limiting ourselves. Even if the behavior, you're right, it's a safety net. Even if the behavior can be described largely as, as negative, it serves us in some way. Uh, for example, for me, you know, I overate and I used my, uh, my obesity as a cloak of invisibility. You know, I use it to mask my fear. And if I can blame my fear and timidity on my appearance, I could avoid delving into the root of my dysfunction. How do your coaching methodologies help your clients overcome their patterns of self-sabotage? Well, we, we kind of go in there and look at it because the first thing that I see that, that stops people from dealing with the underlying issues here is this fear of, of actually looking at it. So, you know, like you, you talked about, you know, having, having your weight issue, you know, as the protective shield around you and you, you kind of don't want to look at it because it's tender, it's tender and it's not the real issue. There's, there's something really tender that you're trying to protect there. So um, we've got to kind of look at it. We've got to shine the light of consciousness on it and then find out what the fears are. Because the issue that you're experiencing isn't the underlying cause. This is just a symptom of something deeper. So um, what I do, it's like, a, it's, it's, in, it's intuitive, but there's also a kind of talking side of it. So we kind of look at the issue and find out what the beliefs are. What's the worst thing that could happen here? So if you were to release that weight, what would be the worst thing that could happen? You know, then suddenly you'll be attractive and or you'll be attracting all these people and you feel so uncomfortable in your own skin, for example. And then what would be the worst thing about that? And it always comes back to something about you, you know, oh my God, then I'll be exposed as unworthy, you know, then everyone will be able to see it, you know? So it's about finding those core beliefs because we have like, um, I mean, uh, you can, you can conceptualize of beliefs as kind of, you have the symptom up here, the outer experience, the, your behavior, but then underneath that you have the thoughts and underneath that you have the beliefs. So that we have loads and loads of different beliefs, you know, that, that are underpinning our behavior. And those are the things that you need to change in order to change your behavior really, truly deeply. Otherwise you're just dealing with a symptom rather than the root cause. And that's the problem that I see in some kind of coaching methodologies that use out there they're just trying to change the symptoms rather than dealing with the root cause so if you do that it will always come back again because you know the belief says that this this is needed to keep us safe you know so we've got to find out what the underlying the real underlying root belief is and that's through process of like questioning um like what would be the worst thing that would happen and you know really putting the spotlight in and in, in see what what is the real fear here where does that trauma come from? And it's not necessarily, Joanne, it's not, it's not necessarily that we all had to experience, you know, massive traumas and were massively abused as children. Because as I said before, it's not really about what happens to you. It's about how you conceptualize that, how you, what you make that mean. And as a child, you can imagine like a three-year-old, four-year-old, five-year-old child between before the age of six or seven, you're kind of living in this data brainwave where you're just taking everything in. And from that very young child, you know, an adult saying no to you or, or, you know, you can you can internalize that as meaning, oh, I'm not good enough because mommy said no to me. Or, and it could have been a loving no, 
but you know, you could, you can, you can, in your mind, you can make it mean something different. It's not necessarily what happens to you. It's as a child, what you make that mean. And that can cause a trauma and a block that can, that you can experience to enter later life. And obviously it can be big traumas too. You know, it can be, you know, abuse, emotional, sexual abuse, all of these things. Definitely. They cause massive barriers for people that they can, that for people to overcome. Um, but I'm just making the point here that also little things, you know, someone telling you, you can't have that lollipop or whatever. This is one that I heard about recently. Um, you know, the child made that mean, oh my God, my parents don't love me. And you make up the story about it that, you know, you take with you into your adult life. And the, that, that dictates, that basically creates the framework for your behavior moving into, moving into your future and creating your, your life as an adult. I think that's very insightful because I think in today's world, when everybody can, there are so many forums to share your story, uh, there's social media and, and, the media and the news sensationalizes every story that people feel as if their stories aren't significant. The lollipop story, well, that doesn't rise to the level of trauma. So who am I to denigrate myself or, or minimize somebody else's trauma because mine is so insignificant? And I think that people have to realize that we all have levels of trauma. And you know, if it's meaningful to you, it's meaningful to your recovery and you have to acknowledge it and, and change your mindset regarding it. Uh, so thank you for that point. Uh, and I think it's very interesting. You identify some of your clients is soulpreneurs, S-O-U-L. And, and what is that? And how is that significant to you in your practice? Well, yeah, I work with people. Um, well, I work with entrepreneurs as well. And I work with people with, so people, soulpreneurs are basically people who want to create a career doing what they love. And, you know, really it can be people who want to be healers, people who want to be coaches um, or, or anything really. They're just, they're, they're, they want to follow their heart. They're ready. They, they know what their purpose is. And maybe they feel like they've tried, they've read all the books, they've attended a load of seminars. Um, and they're still feeling like they're blocked. They're holding themselves back. Um, and also I work with people who are, you know, trying to find that point of balance between their career, doing what they love and making great money, you know, because like I mentioned before, uh, I think we're brought up in a world where we think we need to have this or that, you know, rather than thinking we can have this and that. We live in a kind of really society where we're taught that it, it has, you can't have both. It has to be one thing or the other. Well, why? Why is that the case? Who said, you know, who created that story? Because that's just a story too. Um, so I work with people, with women, real, with entrepreneurs and solopreneurs, but also people who are just following their want to want to start make their purpose um their source of abundance and to really create the tell people to find their sweet spot of fulfillment in whatever it is they want to do so that they can follow their highest excitement every day of their life and be you know reap that abundance in every sense of the word because you know fulfillment is one form of abundance but also there is financial abundance also, there's emotional abundance. There's so many different types of abundance. It doesn't, it's not just about money. So it's about being really fulfilled in every sense of the word. And that is possible today. That is possible for everyone to wake up every day and to feel excited about what you're doing and to be following your highest passion and your highest excitement every day. And it's not like 
you need to start with a big, huge, oh, I want to be a judge or I want to be a healer. It can be, you know, simple things, you know, like, so out of the things that I, you can start small. Um, so out of all the things that I can do now in this moment, you know, I could go for a coffee with a friend, I could go for a walk, I could walk, I could go outside, I could, you know, now we have few limited, more limited choices. But out of all the things that you can do, what's the one that excites you the most? And then, and then do that. Um, Cause once you, the more you follow your excitement, it's like a thread, you know, more excitement comes, you know, people think that they need to get, they need to see the final step first. You've got to take that first step. You've got to start following your, your excitement now in the moment in whatever shape that forms. And then more comes, you know, we think, I think we, we think we're going to get step five, six, and seven before we take step one, two, and three, four, you know, we got to take the first steps first. And that requires, you know, starting to trust our instincts and trusting what makes us feel alive in the moment. And it doesn't need to be a huge thing. So like same thing with the traumas, it doesn't need to be a huge thing that creates the traumas. It doesn't need to be a huge thing that creates, that pulls us down that, that, um, that excitement, <laughs> that excitement line to really experience our passion and to live it. That really speaks to, to the importance of self-care. I mean, as women, particularly of uh, mothers and wives and, and, and professionals, they, they often are under the impression that you said that they can't do everything well. They can't have to be a good mother and wife. You can't, you can't be a professional. Um, so I think that just taking the moments, you know, getting that coffee, uh, taking a bath, you know, taking the, the time to recognize that you matter too, and to take a few moments to take care of yourself. I think that that's a, a component of it as well, that women often, often feel guilty about. And so what does a typical session look like with you? How do you convey these points for women who really have those antiquated points of view? How do they, how does it start off? What do they ask you? How do they even know that they need you? Well, um, I work with people who, um, I work with people who are kind of awake to the fact that there, there is, there, there is a way, there is a way forward, um, who are starting to recognize that, you know, that maybe the cause of their their own their their lack of fulfillment is their own internal kind of negative belief. So people who are starting to become aware of that, and then I mean, I look at uh, when in a session when I'm talking to people, I look at where they we talk about where they are, what's showing up for them, and then we look at what the beliefs are that that may have caused that. So there is a kind of questioning part, and then a kind of releasing. So going back to that seven-year-old child who took on that belief and releasing the energy from that. Um, so it's kind of, it's kind of like therapy in a sense, like talking therapy, but then we're also releasing the energy at the end of it. So whatever is stuck there and needs to move, we can let it go. Um, another thing that's, that's really common with people. And I know I made a few and maybe you did too. When we're children, we can make vows to ourselves. Um, like, I'll never be successful. I'll never be in a relationship, you know, with it's like a pump. It's like an, it's like a promise we make to ourselves, a vow that, that really stands, that can stand and, and, you know, control our lives as we move into, as we move into adulthood. Um, so it's about finding out what those vows or promises, what the traumas are that cause them, and then realizing, kind of showing that that child part of ourselves that it's safe to let it go now. And that's the that's the key. 
because the child or whatever part of you is holding on to that is holding on to it because it's safe. It's a safety thing. But once you let that part of you see that actually something else is possible, we don't need to hold on to it anymore, then it just it just automatically lets go, really. So there's no um, it's it's in like like I say, you know, healing, it happens in an instant. You know, you don't need to you can if you want, uh, but it's not it's not necessary to be on a therapist's couch for 10 years. Um, maybe it was a long time ago, but I don't, but it, cause that healing, that, that awareness, that release, it happens in one second, um, in a heartbeat, like Tony Robbins says, you know, it, it, you can, it might take you 10 years to come to a point where you can recognize that thing and let it go, but the actual healing happens in one moment. So that's why the healing is instant, but it's about, I help people to kind of get ready to release all of the stuff. So recognize they don't need it anymore, that it's not serving them. Because as I think you mentioned, we hold on to things like that because we hold on to the belief that we're a sinner or whatever it happens to be, because we feel that that's serving us, that, that for some reason there's, there's a belief that that's better than the alternative. So once we give the alternative and start recognizing what this belief, this pattern has really been doing for us, that's when everything can change. I agree. I think that uh, the therapy really concentrates so much on the past and that's the beauty of coaching. It's a call to action. It's a means to change your mindset and to move your life forward. Instead of just examining the past, wants you to move past that and into an ideal state for your ideal life. And so many coaches now talk about imposter syndrome and it really resonated with me as well. Um, It's been thrust into the forefront, especially for those who are in the mindset and growth game. I mean, you also speak about a failure to launch syndrome and it isn't as well known. Uh, You talk about it and can you explain what failure to launch syndrome is and how do you address that differently? How can people overcome that affliction? Well, I mean, I think it's it's all related to this kind of feeling of not being enough and chronic self-doubt. Failure to launch is just that, like it's kind of like I mentioned before, where you're trying to launch something new and you keep stopping yourself. So maybe you're taking three steps forward and four steps back constantly. So you're never really getting past go. Um, and it's, it's, it's all about like, this is really typical signs that you're sabotaging yourself. Like uh, it's something, if you, if you notice that that's coming up for you, like if you're constantly taking, doing, you've done all the work, you've taken all the action and then you actually follow through in the action steps and you're starting to make progress. And then it's like the rug gets pulled out from under you all of a sudden and you're back to zero point. That's, that's this, this all points to, you know, there, there are fears here that are blocking you from moving forward. And it's again, like, like I said, it's, it's not safe. You know, if you, if you become successful, oh my God, you'll be too big. People will judge you. What will your parents think? What will your friends think? Oh my God. <laughs> Oh, I can't do it. It's not safe. You know, it all comes back to the safety idea. It was very courageous for you to abandon your, the traditional law career and pursue your passion and and coaching practice. What has been the most rewarding part of that journey? Well, I think it's rewarding looking back and seeing where I am now and where I was maybe 10 years ago, but it's also really rewarding seeing the changes that happen in the people that I work with. I had one woman, um, I worked with one woman who, she she was like freaking out about finding a man and settling down 
And, you know, she kept on attracting the wrong kind of person. You know, even though she went to matchmakers and told them exactly what she wanted, she kept on attracting, you know, more feminine kind of man because she was very much in her masculine energy. So we worked on that. And, you know, she made a very, very empowered decision to, to just have a child on her own. And I don't think that's something. So, so she stopped like looking for the man to kind of to help her. And she 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 had she has now has a really lovely child of her own. So that's really nice. But also working with people who, you know, want to become coaches and have those fears coming up, like seeing, you know, how they kind of let go of relationships that may be kind of sabotaging them or pulling their energy or, um, and then really stepping into their become successful coaches or become successful healers and to start living their life on their own terms rather than, you know, in following the path of some kind of soul sucking job or soul sucking relationship with someone who's just, you know, sucking all of their energy. They're empowered and that they're worthy of, of creating that for themselves and they don't need anyone else to do it for them. They, it's like them, see to see people go from being victim, really, being a victim in their life to being that hero, um, I find so rewarding. And, you know, seeing it with each individual, it's like, it's it's such a beautiful thing to witness. I think that's the most, most amazing thing. I agree. I mean, I think it's so uh, invaluable that the profit doesn't always lie in the dollar sign and you're literally out there changing lives for the better. That's that's really uh, in, inspiring. And and I thank you for that. I know I can't keep you all day down to, to my final question. And because you are such a, an intuitive coach and so great, are there any simple strategies the listeners can start to utilize at home to to come into their own awakening and and develop their self-awareness and break through their own fears? Yeah, I mean, I'm, and I kind of mentioned, touched on this a little bit earlier. So what I would say is don't be afraid of, of looking there um, because it's not really the fear that stops you. It's the fear of looking at the fear because once you look at the fear, you shine the light on it, you know, just it, 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 it wants to go, it's ready to go. So uh, what I would say is don't be afraid of looking at whatever it is, you know, and find some help if you, if you, if it's too much for you, if you feel, if you, if it's, if it's really causing you, um, you know, anxiety, find someone to help you like like we spoke like we've just spoken about you know i think a big pitfall that people often you know that people fall into is that they think they can do it on their own and you know we don't need to do it on our own that's can be a road to kind of just going around in circles like i say because we want to avoid feeling that pain and when we don't have a guide in front of us leading us forward we can just go around in our own little feedback loop um so i would say look at the fears and start asking yourself What's the worst thing that could happen here? If I become successful, if I start living more, if I leave my job, you know, if I if I go out and create my own business, you know, what is the worst thing that could happen? And keep looking at that, like keep asking that question until you find some kind of belief at the end of it, like I'm not good enough, I'm not worthy, it can't work for me. And once you once you once you see that, you can you can have compassion for that part of yourself and start letting start to let go of that of that belief um i've seen it's it can be really effective to do it on our own but i mean i know for a lot of people it's also you know it's it can be really tender and it can be really useful to have to have a guide of of some form 
who was maybe a few steps ahead of you to kind of clear the path for you and kind of hold your hand. Um, so don't don't need to do it on your own. You can follow this formula and start following, you know, start looking at those fears when they come up and start following your excitement, you know, from the little things. Doesn't need to big the big things. You don't need to start the launch the business tomorrow. Start acting on your excitement now in small ways and see how that accelerates every moment, every day. Just be be in the moment every every day. And whatever feelings come up, just allow them to be. Allow them to be, witness them and watch them, watch them just dissolve. They don't when because once they once they recognize they're witnessed, they they can be released really, really easily and they're ready to go. It's just energy in motion wants to move. I'll add to it. Yeah. Yes. When you do look at them, just treat yourself with kindness. I think that that's really uh, an important thing and learn how to forgive yourself for, we often impose life sentences on ourselves and there are very few sins that, that are even in the judicial system, (laughs) get a life sentence. Before you go, tell the listeners how they can learn more about you and reach out to you directly. Yes, that would be amazing. Best way to reach out to me is to check out my, um, my website, which is experiencetrueself.com. All right, perfect. Uh, so yeah, you can also, if you want to have a conversation with me, you can you can go to bit.ly bit.ly forward slash quick call with Emma. And that will get you through to my calendar so we can have a quick conversation. So the conversation, I can just point you to resources and things that can get you moving forward, or I can... Um, or maybe I can talk to you about how I could help you further. So I'm, I'm, I'm there as a resource if anyone resonates with what I say and is ready to look at what the next step for you might be. Uh, and I'm sure they will. So thank you very much for joining us. It's, it's been an honor and a privilege and you shared your knowledge and insight with us. And I'm sure it's valuable to many of the listeners. Take care and, I, and I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Joanne. Have a great day. Bye. You, you too. Thank you for listening to this episode of the JTD Coaches Me podcast. You can find additional resources and information about Joanne at jtdcoachesme.com. Please make sure to subscribe to this podcast for updates and new episodes. You can also follow Joanne on social media under JTD Coaches Me. 